pleasure of having uh, Stefan Leninger here with us from Biocrates. Um, Biocrates really is a company that um, puts a stake in the ground regarding the complexity of the hunt of biomarkers for the type 1 diabetes prodrome space um, and how omics can elucidate it to advance precision medicine. Um, the title for the talk is Type 1 Diabetes as a Complex Metabolic Disease, Metabolomics as a Tool to Explore Pathophysiology and Enable Personalized Medicine. And um, just a short bio for Stefan Lettinger. He's been working in life science industry for more than 15 years after graduating in bioengineering and business economics. He started his career in various functions in the field of routine diagnostics. In his current position as director and business development with Biocrates Life Sciences, he works with scientists in academia and industry to conduct metabolomics projects in various areas of biomedical research, including basic and clinical sciences, epidemiology, as well as all stages of pharmaceutical R&D. Across indications, the association between autoimmunity and metabolism is a matter of growing interest. Thank you very much for joining us, Stefan. I really appreciate it. And um, Biocrates is very, very interesting. We've been following it on social media and um, the tweets and the, um, you know, the content you provide is, um, is quite timely. And uh, also, as I said before, interesting. So welcome. Thank you, Monica. It's a pleasure to be here uh, and to be invited. Um, as my short bio already said, we get to see a lot of diseases, um, a lot of indications, certainly not just type one diabetes, and to us, it's really interesting uh, to try help uh, our customers and partners figure out those diseases, but also to see how many diseases share certain features, right? And, and uh, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about diabetes or um, neurodegenerative diseases or cancers. Those are all complex diseases that might share more features uh, than we would think. So on the next couple of slides, I will talk about type 1 diabetes, but I will not purely and only uh, talk about diabetes because sometimes I think there's uh, learnings and, and um, inferences that you can make from other fields of biomedical research as well. Sounds good. So first of all, uh, I will get started by discussing a little bit about the medical need that there still is. Um, Type 1 diabetes researchers certainly know it a great deal better uh, than I do, but um, I'll, I'll still show a couple things. I will go into a couple specific metabolic pathways uh, that might be interesting in the context uh, of type 1 diabetes. I will show some case studies, and if there's any time left, uh, we can briefly talk about how one might uh, uh, go about starting their metabolomic study. So the medical need for metabolomics in uh, type 1 diabetes research, and it starts with pathophysiology. To us, it always starts with pathophysiology. It doesn't, but you don't do metabolomics for the sake of doing metabolomics. You do metabolomics for the sake of understanding pathophysiology. What is the uh, the potential for therapy stratification using metabolomics, and I'll show a specific example uh, from another indication, uh, actually, how metabolism is important in shaping therapeutic responses. I obviously have to be have to go very 
quick with the limited time we have. Each of those topics would warrant 30 minutes of presentation in and of themselves. Um, and I will cut it down to one slide each. No worries. So, if people want more, they can reach out to you directly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So obviously type one diabetes is an autoimmune disease, but still the pathogenesis of the disease is not completely understood involving genetics, involving microbiota, but also involving environmental factors, uh, nutrition and lifestyle. And metabolomics is certainly a good way to study those things. We'll touch upon some of those factors uh, specifically later in the talk. The second area of interest, of course, is to understand how metabolism drives later stage events in people with type 1 diabetes because they pretty much have similar uh, late stage uh, comorbidities and outcomes as someone, for example, with type 2 diabetes might have. And in times like these with the Western style diet, many people with type 1 diabetes don't just have type 1 diabetes, they also have the typical risk factors that are associated with Western lifestyle. So metabolomics could help understand these. We, th we do think that one of the key areas where metabolomics could really help going into the clinics is therapy, therapy stratification. And thankfully, after many, many years of research, now there is uh, there are more options uh, than just insulin for patients with type 1 diabetes, and more are certainly coming up in the future. But as we are coming to a, um, uh, to a situation where there are treatment options uh, to prevent or to treat type 1 diabetes, we will also get into uh, a discussion for which patient is a certain drug um, actually suitable. And it doesn't matter. You can, you can take um, any, uh, you can take any medication in any disease and you will have uh, some non-responders in there. It's not so many maybe for metformin, uh, but for a typical multiple sclerosis drug, it is a large thing. We do think that metabolomics could help stratify patients based on their biochemical phenotype rather than only their clinical phenotype, because it is very rich in information. And it is also uh, richer in information than what you would typically get from routine biochemistry. The second area certainly is disease monitoring and uh, finding out when uh, a patient is progressing. It is estimated that about 5 to 10% of diabetes patients need to change therapy. That's mainly, of course, type 2 diabetes. Um, but unlike in cancer, where it's often acquired resistance that forces a change in therapy, in diabetes, it's probably more due to progression than anything else. And of course, also metabolomics could be used to, uh, to find out whether there's an increased risk of a disease-related event, for example, a cardiovascular event. The interesting thing here is, of course, that metabolomics can cover the disease across the patient journey and is uh, 
flexible and can change as the disease progresses. That's certainly a, a big advantage over genetics. The third area is lack of actionable biomarkers. I have been to a biomarker conference uh, just last week and um, as of 2023, it's still the case that almost all um, indications where there are companion diagnostic biomarkers are in oncology. There's almost nothing in other indications. Uh, and, and part of it is because you can't test for a driver mutation or, or anything like that uh, in diabetes. What can uh, I ask, um, which conference was that, Stefan? Uh, it was the Clinical Biomarkers and CDX Conference in London. Yeah, there are biomarkers for type 1 diabetes, but, you know, they're not, um, you know, widely available to yeah. the clinic, the, the clinic uh, general yeah, and it, you know, practice. And in this case, of course, it was it was not diagnostic biomarkers. It was companion diagnostic biomarkers. And um, that's, that's uh, right. still more, more tricky, right? Sure. And where there's also close to nothing is a truly integrated approach, right? Even with those CDX that are around um, for oncology, it is, should the patient get this drug or should the patient not get this drug? But in terms of co-medication, um, uh, stratified uh, approaches for nutrition and lifestyle uh, therapy, there's nothing available. That's pretty much still based on trial and error. And we think that metabolomics could help doing better there. Uh, really define therapeutic choices beyond the main drug that you might want to give the patient based on the biochemical mode of action of those interventions. We'll, we'll come to a very specific um, example on the next slide. Okay. At Biocodis, we would call the approach that I'm about to show you uh, performance companion diagnostics. Um, in the sense that it goes further than a typical uh, companion diagnostic would do. There's nothing that I could show for type one diabetes, but we have some proof of concept studies. And what is shown on this slide is from, from immune checkpoint inhibition, where it has been shown that a certain type of lipids together with age was very, very good in predicting how who was going to respond and who was not going to respond. That's obviously something that you would also aim for doing with um, with a typical CDX, like um, PD-1 expression. But the study here went a little bit further than just saying, okay, we have a, a, a signature for a responder and a signature for a non-responder. The study actually showed that there might be ways of using the metabolomics result in, uh, in actually defining the co-medication uh, that you could give the patient in order to boost the response, to essentially make a non-responder into a responder. Uh, because the, the lipids that they found to be reduced in those that were non-responders are essentially um, lipids that you would find in fatty fish or in fish oil. So the speculation there was uh, that you could maybe give the patient uh, fish oil or recommend them to um, to eat fish on a more regular basis and in this way increase those lipids that are uh, apparently essential for respond, response to chemotherapy. We have other um, examples as well. 
um, like recently for, for pancreatic cancer, where a microbial metabolite has been found to be essential for response. And there it has actually been shown experimentally um, that supplementing this specific metabolite actually works in improving the response to therapy. That was what I wanted to show in terms of uh, in terms of the medical need that, that we still have uh, to address in type 1 diabetes. And as promised, there's two specific areas of metabolism that I wanted to address uh, because they clearly are associated with the pathophysiology that we're seeing. So it's well known by now that uh, the microbiome does have something to do with type 1 diabetes pathogenesis. And the way that most microbiome research is done today is that you measure or that you uh, that you measure the microbial genome in a fecal sample. And that's all nice and good, uh, but composition in itself does not necessarily tell you a lot about the function. Um, and also, um, you have feces only available, and most of the interaction between the host and the microbiome actually occurs um, higher upstream uh, in the gastrointestinal tract. So we have a fair number um, of researchers um, who came to the conclusion that, that having the genomic information of the microbiome is not enough, and you actually need to add something that gives functional insights, and maybe something that, that provides functional insights on a systemic level. And metabolites are ideal in this way, because for some metabolites, it's very well known that they are produced and maybe exclusively produced by the microbiome, and you can measure them as part of a metabolomic study um, in a serum or plasma sample. Yeah, it's an important point. And without going in, in too much detail here, for several metabolites, it is of several microbial metabolites, uh, it is very well established that they are playing a role in different diseases that might in part be relevant here, like secondary bile acids and liver function. Uh, TMAO and cardiovascular diseases is, uh, was maybe the first major indication uh, where this has been reported. And indoles and short-chain fatty acids is very much associated uh, with immune function. Now, some of you might say, all right, if I'm interested in bile acids, I can get uh, a measurement of bile acids from my central lab. Uh, isn't that isn't this good enough? And yes, it is. It is um, uh, the current standard to use the sum uh, of bile acids. But actually, not all bile acids are created equal. There's primary bile acids that are produced in the liver as the endpoint of cholesterol metabolism. And then there are secondary bile acids uh, that are produced by the microbiome. And those secondary and primary bile acids have different signaling pathways. They have different affinity for the respective uh, pathways, of course. And um, in case of the secondary bile acids, most of them are cytotoxic and are involved in the inflammation or are involved in inflammation might be involved in 
uh, inflammation that you might uh, see going on in type 1 diabetes. Not too long back, I mean, you can you could look at a review from 20, 2009, 2010 or something like that. That's really where the, where the field of uh, biolysis research has really started off because they have always been known to be important, but it has been assumed that they are important for the digestion of dietary lipids. And only now or only in the last decade or so uh, have biolysis really been acknowledged for their important biological functions in a vast variety uh, of tissues and cells. Obviously, of importance here is that FXR, the, the main receptor for the for the primary biolysis, uh, is expressed in pancreatic beta cells. And I'm always, I still keep being surprised that FXR is expressed in platelets and appears to affect platelet function, although platelets don't even have a nucleus. And uh, FXR is a nuclear receptor. So there's obviously a, a non-genomic way um, how FXR also affects the function of their target tissues. So coming to a conclusion for the for the biolysis part, uh, the especially the primary biolysis signal through the FXR receptor, and as a nuclear receptor, this um, this regulates a vast variety of biological functions and metabolic pathways, including glucose metabolism, which is obviously uh, of importance here, but also triglyceride and cholesterol metabolism. And bile acids also regulate their own production. And um, as mentioned, they do have immune regulatory function as well. The second pathway that I wanted to show uh, is the tryptophan pathway. And it's actually three pathways all originating uh, from tryptophan, one is the serotonin pathway, so um, uh, neurotransmitter producing pathway, if you will, and it is involved in gut brain signaling and gut motility, for example. So there is some relevance, maybe, uh, to the microbial uh, component uh, of type one diabetes. The quinolonin pathway is is hugely interesting for for many immunologists uh, because it is so intimately involved in immune regulation and then there's indoles which are actually microbial uh, products of tryptophan so they also uh, have an have a role in in uh, that homeostasis but also in immune regulation and also in uh, um, in regulating expression programs via yet another receptor this is just an overview over the over the three branches of tryptophan metabolism. And while I haven't looked um, into, into each specific metabolite along the pathway, it's it has been shown, for example, that here is anthracyanilic uh, acid is typically increased in type 1 diabetes while it is not increased in type 2 diabetes. It doesn't appear to be clear what the exact function is, uh, but there might be uh, a role of this specific molecule and the corresponding enzyme uh, in the immune component uh, of type 1 diabetes. This leads me to the end of showing specific pathways. Um, there's dozens and dozens 
of different metabolic pathways. So this was by no means intended to be a complete overview uh, of metabolism in type 1 diabetes. Also, not everything is understood. Uh, the point is, we understand quite a bit about the pathophysiology um, of type 1 diabetes. We also understand quite a bit about metabolic pathways and, and how they are built and what are the intermediates, but we don't necessarily know the exact function of each specific met, uh, uh, metabolic pathway in the disease. Okay, we're, we're already advancing uh, quite a bit in time, uh, so let's go through a couple case studies. And I have chosen one here from 2013. That's an, uh, that's an oldie, but it's a goldie. It's type 1 diabetes, and it's the first example to our knowledge or the first that we have uh, become aware at Biocritis where metabolomics, metabolomics has actually been used uh, in an autoimmune study and in a microbiome study. So basically uh, what the researchers there did was um, take a type 1 diabetes model and gave the, the male microbiota to uh, female mice which normalized um, the, uh, the, the gender ratio for the incidence of type 1 diabetes. But then when they blocked testosterone production, um, it, the, the, the gender ratio in the diabetes, type 1 diabetes incidence went back to normal. So there apparently is a way how the microbiome uh, affects uh, um, steroid hormone metabolism, and in this way, uh, also type 1 diabetes incidence. Metabolically, it might be more complex than just microbiome uh, affecting testosterone production directly, because there were a couple of other metabolic pathways um, involved in the study that also almost completely uh, would have explained the gender difference um, in type 1 diabetes incidence. The second example uh, from type 1 diabetes that I have brought you here is a much more recent uh, paper from 2022 that showed that dysregulation of secondary bile acids precedes islet autoimmunity and type 1 diabetes. Uh, without going too much into detail, there were sequential bile acids measurements and uh, measurements for, uh, for auto antibodies and what the researchers have found that you find changes um, in the secondary bile acids sooner than you find um, changes in autoimmunity. So this study adds further proof that the microbiome is playing a role uh, in the risk for and pathogenesis of type 1 diabetes. Again, I will not go in an awful lot uh, of detail here, but I did show uh, in, in the beginning uh, that co-medication uh, might be something where metabolomics could play a role, uh, and also finding out more about the pathophysiology of the typical downstream events of diabetes uh, might be involved here. And those three uh, mini-examples uh, show how uh, how that could go about. So in, in this case, there was a dietary um, intervention 
in the model of atherosclerosis. So obviously here the, the goal was to find out how, um, how different types of intervention that was targeted at, uh, at introducing microbiome changes, how they actually affect the risk for atherosclerosis. Um, there was another, this was another study taking a different approach in supplementing uh, a nutrient in order to drive atherosclerosis risk down and finding out on a molecular basis what the, uh, what the action of these uh, interventions might be. And in the third example, um, I don't know whether, whether you see it fully or whether, whether the sidebar uh, is above it. Uh, this is for uh, to differentiate between cardiometabolic diseases. Finally, one topic that is near and dear to us and also to myself, um, because Monica mentioned that we are very active on social media and my capture says, caption says um, scientific success stories with metabolomics and multiomics. And when I write it, I actually mean it. Um, I think that you should never see any uh, any omics technology that you use in isolation. And obviously there is a lot of knowledge also uh, from, uh, from other omic studies that you could use. And similar to how I have described it for the microbiome studies, where metabolomics could add functional insights uh, to what you see on the microbiome composition side. Metabolomics has been used for about 15 years now uh, in association uh, with genetic studies uh, to improve the power and functional insights uh, of those genetic studies. Um, I, I think the uh, the most striking example that I can remember is where a genetic association has been found in 500 individuals when it first had only been found in a cohort with 40,000 people. And the way that this is possible is because uh, those researchers don't use just the genetics and the, and the clinical phenotype, but they actually use the metabolic phenotype as an intermediary. And they, uh, and, and they look what is the association between the genes and the metabolites and what is the association between metabolites and the clinical phenotype rather than trying to make this, um, this direct inference from the two layers. All right, um, that brings me to the end um, of the content pages. I would leave it uh, up to Monica, whether I show very briefly about our technology or whether we yes, wrap it up. Yes, no, and, I think that that's important because you kind of brought us up to this point and then um, it would be great to, you're getting some clapping. Um, it would be great to mm -hmm. actually see how you, um, what you offer and how you wed the metabolomics to the omics. Yeah. Yeah, so go for it. Okay. So there's a little bragging right there. Um, our technology has been used for more than 1,600 publications. I think we actually stopped counting quite a while ago. I think if you if you enter Biocodes in Google Scholar, you'll get more than 3,000 hits. But um, what this slide is intending to show is that, that you can publish very well based on uh, metabolomics findings, and it's also very versatile um, in its use. You see the indication areas um, here on the right. And this is supposed to be gold, silver, and bronze medals because we, we didn't really know of any other, uh, of any better way 
uh, to, to indicate the scientific impact um, that metabolomic studies have created in the past. So our technology in a nutshell is metabolomics um, kits that you could use in your own or in any partner mass spectrometry labs um, as well as services. And what is the, the unifying thing about our technology is quantification. So you get molar concentrations of the metabolites that you measure rather than just peak areas or relative uh, quantities. And it's always targeted. So by definition, you don't find any new metabolites without technology, but you measure those metabolites that you target uh, in a high quality and highly reproducible way. That's uh, that's the main goal that we want to drive. Uh, and then you have more than 15 options to choose from. And on the one extreme, you could go for a very specific groups of metabolites, like the tryptophan metabolites or short-chain fatty acids. Um, and the, the main reason why we have those very pathway specific assays is that metabolites are very very diverse in their concentrations in how they behave in the mass spectrometer uh, whether they are uh, even stable uh, in many matrices um, and and it's just not possible to measure every metabolite um, as part of a, a broad range um, uh, metabolomics study on the other end of the extreme, you have the MX Peak 1500XL kit, with, which actually measures more than 1,000 metabolites and more than 470 sums and ratios um, of those metabolites. So those large panel kits try to provide a little bit the best of both worlds between targeted and untargeted metabolomics. So the, the broad coverage of an untargeted metabolomics assay with the quantification and reproducibility of a targeted assay. But then you have, again, it's a broad assay that still does not cover the whole metabolome. And in some cases, you might want to drill more deeply. So for example, there are some bile acids in this broad assay and there are some tryptophan metabolites in this assay, but because they are not as easy to measure, and especially downstream of cunorainine is very, very tricky to measure, you can't do that as part of such a broad assay. So um, that's why we also have more dedicated assays um, if you know that a very specific uh, metabolic pathway is of interest. In the future, we obviously hope that um, metabolomics will make a clinical impact and that uh, the technology will serve a diagnostic purpose uh, in the future. We are already certified um, as a diagnostic company, but all the solutions that you have here on the right at this point in time are research use only applications. I did mention that it always starts with pathophysiology, and I, I stand by that. Even if you might decide to go with a broad metabolomics approach, you should make up your mind about what might be relevant metabolic pathways. And I understand that especially clinicians often have a hard time defining that, but then that's 
where we come in actually. So as an offering, we have a technology, um, but uh, in, in terms of planning your metabolomics projects, we are always happy and here to help uh, if you have any trouble deciding what is the best way uh, for you to move forward. So you specific. guys can act in an advisory role as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 part of the job, um, I would say. I don't know how it is in the US, but uh, at least in Europe, most funding bodies don't like pure fishing experiments. So you have to show at a certain level, uh, if you go into a funding proposal, that you have made a deliberate choice in the metabolomics approach um, right. that you choose, right? So saying so I have you, used- Could uh, you advise prior to, during the, could you then advise during the sort of the grant writing process? Yeah, we we can't write the whole grants. That's, that's not possible from a capacity perspective, but I'm always happy if someone sends me a grant and, and uh, asks me to review it, I will have an eye on it. Uh, and on the one hand, provide relevant information that hopefully makes the grant better. Um, because that's, I see it quite often, to be frank, that someone say, uh, describes pathophysiology on 40 pages, and then they go to the methodology section and say, I do metabolomics. And that's, that's not good enough, at, at least in Europe, that's not anything that uh, that reviewers really like. Right. And, and often it's fairly simple to make these associations. Right. So um, either either the researcher has an idea anyway, if, if someone writes a grant for tryptophan essay, they obviously have an idea what role tryptophan essay plays. So it's more when someone uh, is going for the broad metabolomics essay. So if they uh, if they describe that the microbiome is playing a role, there's a couple dozen uh, metabolites in this broad essay that are produced by the microbiome. If they if they write about uh, inflammation and immune regulation playing a huge role, there's dozens of metabolites that are involved in immune regulation, right? So so we, we we're trying to to match what they have described in the pathophysiology part with what's actually provided by the technology that uh, they are going to use right. if they are funded, right? And I, I have already switched to this slide for the metabo indicator, which is the sums and ratios um, that I have described before. It's one of the key advantages of, of taking a, a targeted and quantitative approach. You can calculate with every number, but if you have actual concentrations, um, if you make the uh, a, a ratio between cleanerenine and its upstream metabolite tryptophan, it's much much more meaningful than if you do it um, based on on relative data. And that would be one of the examples, right? If someone describes how important immune regulation is, and then they don't mention tryptophan metabolism, we would certainly advise them um, to write a few words about tryptophan metabolism. Uh, being relevant and being involved there and and um, this ratio for IDO activity being something that you would cover with the approach that they are choosing. All right, that does lead me uh, to the end of my presentation. So I hope I could show in a little bit more than 30 minutes, uh, actually, that metabolomics could be 
important and relevant in uh, studying the pathophysiology uh, of type 1 diabetes and the development of diabetes-related uh, events, uh, that pathways such uh, or, or that, that factors such as host microbial interaction and immunometabolism are playing a big role there, that metabolomics could nicely integrate uh, with other technologies that you might already be doing. And yeah, if you come to the conclusion that biocodes technology might be a good way uh, to study metabolism type 1 diabetes, you could start with a good dozen metabolites in a very targeted way, or with more than 1,400 biomarker candidates in the largest solution um, that we have to offer. And again, if, if you're interested but don't quite know where to start, uh, reach out to me and we'll be more than happy to help. Thank you, Stefan. This has really been interesting. And um, I think the whole idea, you know, that you're you're really saying, you know, don't use omics in isolation without metabolomics is a really interesting uh, and important consideration. Um, and thanks for sharing, you know, sort of walking us through your, you know, use cases and, um, you know, extending that into type 1 diabetes. I guess I would also say, um, how easy is, um, you know, it is it to work, you know, I see some people from the West Coast of the US here. Um, how easy is it to work with um, you guys? You're based in Austria, is that correct? That's correct. So there's two components um, to the answer. So first, yes, we have services. Um, and if you want to use our service, so to do the analytical part uh, of your study um, in our services lab, then the samples would have to go to Innsbruck. There's no way around that. And there's certain essays where there's no alternative either. If you want to measure oxysterols, the samples have to go to Innsbruck. Uh, the good thing is we have plenty of experience so we we have many many projects um, from the us every year where samples come in um so logistically uh this this can be solved that pipeline is established yeah yeah that that works out nicely um obviously those samples are valuable uh so it's always advisable to not just use enough dry ice uh, to get the samples over here safely, but to actually uh, use a dedicated logistics provider who would fill up dry ice if need be. Um, and the other thing is, if you if you look back, so a lot of what we offer is actually kit based. So in this case, there's not only the service uh, that you can acquire from us. Um, in Innsbruck, but there is actually a physical product that we can ship to the US rather than you having to ship the samples uh, to Austria. If you don't have mass spectrometry yourself, it doesn't matter. We'll be more than happy uh, to put you in contact with, uh, with one of our partner labs, uh, of which there are maybe a couple dozen uh, even in the US. Uh, or if your institution does have mass spectrometry, but the kids are not established there. We could discuss uh, about whether it's possible 
uh, to establish the kits right where you work. And these price points for these kits or actually the services are, you know, all bound where in discussion with um, representatives or are they? Yeah, yeah, that's that's one part. Um, if you are from the U.S., uh, you can actually go to our web page. We do have a web shop. So the uh, the prices for the kits for U.S. based researchers um, are actually on the web page. Um, but Again, if you if you want um, if you want to know for your specific project for your specific use case um, for the specific essay that you might be interested in, um, you can always always also just reach out to us and uh, we'll be happy to provide the information. Fantastic. So any any last minute questions from the group? Is everyone fully? Uh, up to speed on what Biocrates does, what's their mission, and how to gain access to their kits and resources. My understanding is that Biocrates has done some um, work on UK biobank samples. Do you know how many metabolites were measured there? Great question. Um, we, we haven't actually done uh, UK biobank. We have, uh, we have run a number uh, of epidemiological cohorts and in most of the cases um, it was either the p180 kit for 188 metabolites or the quant 500 kit with 630 metabolites the quant 500 xl is is the newest addition to the portfolio only available since january so uh projects with this very broad solution are are only picking up now See, maybe one more question specific to type one diabetes. Um, of course, like the disease relevant tissue, the pancreas is hard to access in the context of type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. People usually aren't going around biopsying uh, the pancreas. Right. Um, so presumably most of the metabolomics that has been done or will be done will be serum. Um, how do you guys go about thinking about functional insights for something that's found in the serum in a disease context? It's always an interesting uh, discussion uh to be had i very much like again to to not see a single experiment um in isolation right so if you just measure something in serum or plasma you will get an association uh, that might be very very strong but you can't prove based on this experiment that the signature that you get is from that organ right um especially as those are complex diseases. In all likelihood, the signature is not going to be just from that target organ. So I always like when researchers make this uh, make this next step in trying to find out where their biomarker signature comes from. And um, this can be done, for example, by moving from the clinical study uh, into a mouse model and, um, and um, take tissue samples from there. Or in... I, it's probably not a feasible approach for type 1 diabetes, uh, but in neurodegenerative diseases, it's a frequent approach to uh, to not just use a serum or plasma sample from a patient, but to also use post-modern brain to find out what part of the signature actually comes from the target organ. Okay, thank you. Welcome. Great questions. Um, okay, that was great. Really, really interesting stuff, and I really appreciate your time. And, um, you know, hoping or know that uh, this will be viewed 
Uh, many times when it's posted on our website, um, people typically listen and watch at their own leisure. Um, and then uh, hopefully you'll be getting some feedback from the T1D community uh, and uh, keep in contact regarding that. We greatly appreciate your walking us through this, um, these kits. And um, I guess I'll leave it at that and say, I guess you're in Austria, so we'll say Danke sehr. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day.